Before we continue our season, our occasional series, God for All Seasons, and we get to midlife, we've already had um, young adulthood, we are moving quickly on to midlife, which is uh, just uh, an... Um, uh, just a small picture of how quickly time goes, isn't it? We're already, already at midlife. Yeah. If I ever meet this man, that, uh, if you don't know, that is Rafael Benitez. If I ever meet this man, I'll ask him one question. I'll ask him this. What did you say in your half-time talk in Istanbul, 2005, Champions League final? When his team, the team he was managing, Liverpool, were 3-0 down to Milan at half-time. Famously, some Liverpool fans left at that point. But of course, they missed the great comeback because Liverpool turned it round and finally won on penalties. What did he say to them to produce such a turnaround? Well, as I say, we're, we're looking at these different seasons of life um, aiming uh, at a fuller understanding, not only of our stage, but of the stage other people are in. And this is important. If you're older, it's good that you are here for the young adult stage because you can pray for them and encourage them. If you're a young adult, it's good that you're here for this stage and so forth. It's good that we know, uh, we understand a little bit of where we are. It's so easy to assume things about each other just because... Uh, we're at a certain stage or age, and it's good to understand, isn't it? And we can encourage each other, and we can pray for each other. These are necessarily broad, sweeping categories we're dealing with at this point. I kind of hope that we will go back and look, perhaps more specifically, at certain other stages once we've finished these, these broad ones. But today we meet, reach midlife, which I don't know, roughly between 40 to 60 years old, something like that. Though different people will hit different things, different aspects of this, different elements at different times. Uh, now, our churches invest a great deal, and we do this at Kennet Valley, we invest a great deal in our children and our young people. Um, uh, it's fair to say that churches tend to neglect the second half of people's lives, and that is regrettable, as if, you know, if by the time you've got married and settled down, that's it, it's all going to be fine from here on in. That is very, very rarely the case, and midlife is a particular time of life which can really throw people off course. And um, uh, that's regrettable. As if we'd had all the excitement and now we just look forward to 30 to 40 years of drifting along, living on the plateau, winding down. If that is our experience of life after, in and after this stage, then that's sad. That's really sad. It's certainly not what the Lord wants for us. For midlifers... It really is only half time. It is. It's half time. And it's a great time for a half time chat and to see what lies ahead. How, and this is the thing. This is the thing I've realized. How we deal with midlife. You say, how do you deal with it? You can just put your head down and pretend it's not happening. Or you can deal with it. And this is the thing. If you deal with it with God, or if you allow God to deal with you through this time, actually it strongly shapes 
your fruitfulness for the rest of your life. If you just keep your head down and pretend it's not happening, you are just going to plateau, tail off. If you allow God to do deep work in you, you can be fruitful up to, uh, into your old age. And uh, we see that in the Bible. Moses, he was 80. That was way past midlife, wasn't it? When he met the, we encountered the burning bush. Jacob, we read about. That's a very powerful passage, I think. Jacob at the fords of Jabbok. He might well have felt that the key moments of his life had gone. He might well have felt that he built up this uh, big family business, you know, all this. He had great wealth. And he'd done pretty well for himself through all the schemings and manipulations of his life. The Lord had not finished with him. And he met him at Jabbok. I believe, I say this because I'm speaking honestly out of my own experience here. Having, you know, kind of gone, I wouldn't say gone right through this process, but gone a long way through this process. This is a time that the Lord can meet with us powerfully, face to face, and deal with us. And I think that's what he wants to do with us. We can think of midlife as the time for the halftime team talk. Because it's still all to play for. It is. Maybe you think your first part of your life has been a bit of a waste, unfruitful. You've not really done much with it. You look back with regret. It's still all to play for. It really is. It can be turned around. I'm drawing heavily today on this excellent book, Tony Horsfall's Spiritual Growth in a Time of Change. Now, I read a lot. Um... I can honestly say over the last five years, if I look back 10 years, if I look back 20 years, probably no book has challenged and shaped me and encouraged me as much as this one book. Honestly, honestly, it's been that profound for me. And that's why I tend to give it to, if, if you're a bloke in the church of a certain age, you may well have had received this from me. I won't ask you if you've read it. Perhaps. Um, it's a great book. I thoroughly recommend it. I'm going to be drawing a lot from it. I'm going to be, yeah, plagiarizing it pretty shamelessly this, uh, this morning. The trope of the midlife crisis is a cliche because it reflects reality. Not for everyone in the same way, of course, but it can be a really challenging season. It's a season when we begin to think, well, is this really it? What happened to all those hopes and dreams? Or maybe, well, I've done pretty well. I've achieved my ambitions. And then what do I do now? Maybe that is what you think. During this season, we often start to come face to face in a more powerful way with our own limitations, with our own restrictions. With our own mediocrity, I think, perhaps we thought when we were 20, we thought that by the time we were this age, we would have achieved so much more and, you know, we might have made a name for ourselves and we're thinking, well, you know, just like everyone else, really. I have to come to terms with that. Uh, not to mention our mortality. It's a season of physical changes. It's a season, obviously, of obvious changes, graying hair and expanding girth, 
Uh, for women, there is the particular challenge of menopause, and this really, that really deserves a session, a whole session all of its own, and I really hope to um, bring someone to us who can talk to that with experience and wisdom. Uh, uh, the death of a parent might bring home thoughts of our mortality more powerfully than before. Our children might leave home. And this, is, this, this makes it a really dangerous time, actually, for parents, because suddenly the one thing they've been working together at, the teamwork of, of closely, day-by-day, uh, day, you know, raising this child, these children, suddenly they leave the nest. Obviously, parenting still goes on, but it's very, very different. And what do, what do couples do then? Sometimes they, sometimes where couples have not continued to invest in their relationship, it's a serious time for that relationship to fall, fall apart. Sadly, there is a distinct blip in divorce um, statistics at this time of life. Um, we might be tempted to recapture our youth by hitting the gym or buying a sports car or sadly looking for a younger partner. That happens, doesn't it? Other external changes often include uh, taking on more responsibility at work and that, along with that often usually more stress. You might start to see younger people overtaking you on the career ladder, which is rather unnerving. Whilst you yourself feel less and less energy and drive. You don't have that get up and go that you used to have. Um, you just begin to feel constantly tired. Maybe you feel squeezed between the demands of aging parents on the one hand and children or grandchildren on the other. And I certainly know people who are doing that here in this fellowship or have done that here in this fellowship. And it's hard work. Societal changes can be completely disorientating. Technology advancing so quickly, we're beginning to feel we're being left behind. Attitudes, societal attitudes changing, shifting. You begin to feel perhaps that younger people are viewing you more and more as a dinosaur. There are spiritual changes too. Maybe actually you find yourselves questioning things that previously we just accepted, things that seem so clear become a bit blurred. Perhaps you are disappointed with God because of how things have turned out. All those seemingly unanswered prayers. Perhaps disillusionment as you see your children's lives not pan out as you expected or as you prayed for. And you begin to question what the Lord has been doing. Doubts begin to creep in, maybe. When you were younger, everything did seem so black and white. You seemed so clear then. You thought you knew so many answers. But as you live on and as you meet people with different life experiences and so forth, it does throw up more questions for you. It's not so black and white anymore. Especially when those people are actually in your own family, people whom you love. And you begin to think, well, hold on. Maybe this what I thought is not quite as I thought. And deep down, maybe really deep down, there is actually a growing yearning for intimacy. A sense that you haven't yet found what you're looking for. 
which if you're not careful, can lead you to very unhelpful places and destructive behavior. And so the questions come at you. Is this as good as it gets? Who am I really? Maybe there's a growing sense of guilt over mistakes of the past, regrets of the past. Or maybe a sense of failure. I haven't really done what I set out to do. I know I've let people down. I know I've let God down. What have you done with your life? Maybe you feel trapped in certain roles or relationships. Other people's expectations of you. You seem to be just meeting them and trying to meet them and nothing else. Where am I going? How do the next 30 to 40 years pan out? Someone has described midlife as like walking through a dark wood when you have lost the path. It's a time of many dangers. But, as those uh, biblical examples remind us, it is also a time of great opportunity. It is a time of opportunity to allow the Lord to take you deeper. If you're prepared to go with him, if you're prepared to face up to things, if you're prepared to trust him. Not only is God aware of our struggles, and he really is, he understands midlife better than we do, but he is at work in these struggles. Tony Horsfall identifies three stages to midlife. Now, you know, uh, the danger is that this will portray things as very linear and you just move smoothly through. Of course, it's never like that. Um, and they might be all jumbled up in your experience. But I think it is helpful for us to examine it in this way because it just does help us to see how things can map out. Uh, during early midlife, we might start to reflect on our past. We start to piece together perhaps what has happened to us so far. Now, on the one hand, that can lead to thankfulness, but it can also be incredibly painful because some of those things have not been good or pleasant. But it is important, as Horsfall says, to face our past, to celebrate the good, and find freedom and forgiveness for the difficult stuff. Now, that's not easy. It takes time. It takes help. Um, it's a time of appraising realistically our earlier hopes and dreams. Uh, what did we, where did we really think we'd be by this stage? And was that realistic? And what should we really have been hoping for? Um, uh, we want to re re reach these points where we can let go the things that we might tempted to hold on to that might be negative for us as we move forward. To enable us to move on, Joyce Rupp says this, midlife grief comes from the dying of dreams of who we hoped to be and what we longed to do with our life. Included in this is the facing of our limitations. Don't know why there's an extra O there. The facing of our limitations. In broad terms, if you want a goal, if you want to think of where we're trying to get to in this, the goal is really acceptance. Acceptance of what has happened to us to this point. Acceptance doesn't mean thinking, oh yes, it's all good. It means accepting that yes, this has happened to us and we can see that. Um, middle midlife is, I think, perhaps the deepest part of the journey. 
uh, we begin maybe to draw inward, not necessarily in terms of shrinking horizons, that might happen later, but more a sense of, well, I know there is stuff inside and I want God to deal with it. Uh, Horsfall says, we seek the inner world because our souls have been worn threadbare by life in the outer world. And sadly, this is the reality. It's not until we try the broken systems that we actually go to the true source of the water of life. That's, that, that's our experience, isn't it? We look back and we think, oh, if only I'd found that out earlier. But the truth is, we've got to try. Somehow, somehow in our fallen humanness, we've got to be going down those dead ends and those weary roads that lead to difficult places before we're actually prepared to start facing up to the Lord and what he wants to do with us. It's common in midlife for people to start doing things like searching out old friends. I don't know that friends reunited is still a thing, but people still do that sort of thing, don't they, on Facebook and stuff. Um, researching their ancestry, people like to do that. We want to find out. This is all about finding out our true identity. Who am I really? What are my roots? Where do I come from? And that gets more important to us at this stage in life. And with God's help, this is all important and it's all interested, interesting and it's good for us to be aware of this. But with God's help, we need to reach the point of finding that identity not in our achievements, not in what we've done, not in our roles, whether we're now, you know, regional manager for this, that, or the other, or whatever it might be, um, not in our possessions, not even in our family history. Because who am I really? I am God's beloved child. And we have to reach that point. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And sometimes we only discover that as we face up to and let go some of those other things we might be tempted to find our identity in. As Tony Horsfall says, that is the only identity that is built on solid rock because it is given, not achieved. It doesn't need to be maintained, simply lived out. And this is vital. This is vital, of course. It's vital because of that growing love hunger that is in us, that I feel we, we begin to notice more at this midlife point, that desire for intimacy. Rightly understood, that is a desire for spiritual intimacy. Now, I'm not saying that, that intimacy with hum humans is not important. It is, of course. But deeper than that is a desire for spiritual intimacy. Sadly, and this is the real danger of midlife, sadly, people mistake that for simply a desire of physical intimacy, of sexual intimacy. And that drives people to completely inappropriate places. And we know, don't we, that that is a particular danger for those at this time of life. I would say a danger for men. I'm speaking as a man. I know it as a man. I'm sure it is also a danger for women. It, people, they, people, drive, people get driven to completely inappropriate places. Many retreat into pornography, uh, which remains rife. Uh, the use of that remains rife, even amongst Christians. Uh, for some, it leads to extramarital affairs as they desert their spouses and families. But the truth is, our sexuality, this is, this is 
this is deep stuff, and I wish I had more time to talk about this. Our sexuality and our spirituality are deeply connected. Actually, God designed it to be so. He designed our sexuality to drive us ultimately towards community and ultimately towards community in the city of God. That's what it's there for. Um, our sexuality, our spirituality are deeply connected. The danger is that we mistake longing for one as a longing for the other. And this is the truth, that no other human being, not even our spouses, can satisfy this love hunger. It's so important we grasp that. For the sake of our spouses, not because we say that relationship is not important, but because when we understand it in true relation to the, 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 the key relationship with our God, then we can be the best, you know, the, 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 the husband, the wife, whom God has called us to be more fully. Because we're not putting an impossible burden on our spouses to fill, fulfill something that only Christ can fill. But we mistake this longing for one as a longing for the other. And because of that, we are so vulnerable, particularly in midlife, particularly when we're beginning to see the truth of this, that we feel that, that, that aching of that, that love hunger. What do we do and where do we go? Do we allow our dissatisfaction to drive us away from our spouse to another person if we're married or if we're single into a really unhelpful relationship? Or perhaps we, it drives us towards hollow digital images. Perhaps it drives us towards addiction, actually. Addiction to drink, addiction to drugs, addiction to the gym can do all that sort of thing. Um, or do we allow this dissatisfaction to drive us towards God? That is the great question of midlife. Where, are, where do we allow our dissatisfactions to drive us? Horsfall says, the ability to distinguish our hunger for spiritual intimacy from our sexual drive is a crucial skill in midlife. Uh, the goal of middle midlife, uh, broadly speaking, is transformation. It's difficult and painful. We are, we are like Jacob at Jabbok. Um, we're confronted with the need to surrender to God. He was wrestling with this strange passage, isn't it? He was wrestling with God in, at the fords of Jabbok. But actually, he, he had his hip dislocated. He was never going to win, was he? All he could do was hold on. If the first part of midlife is about letting go, actually the second part is about holding on to God, holding on to him. But holding on to someone requires surrender. Because when you're, when you're holding on to someone, you don't have your arms free to do your own thing. You're just holding on. Where they go, you have to go because you're holding on. That requires surrender. That's what Jacob had to learn. He'd spend his whole life scheming and manipulating and thinking he had to work it all out himself. He walked with a limp. Sometimes after midlife, we walk with a limp. 
physically sometimes. <laughs> After a hard games hockey the day before, we walk with a limp. But in other ways too. And that's a good reminder for us. If we do yield, if we do learn to set, we don't always, this, we resist this. No, I won't give that up. I won't do that. I can have both of these things at the same time. I can have my relationship with my wife with my little secret of pornography at the same time. If we, if we don't surrender these things, it's going to be even harder if we do. If we do learn to yield, then it can be a time of shedding skins as we grow, like snakes. Snakes shed skins to grow, don't they? And midlife can be a time of that. Letting go of who we thought we were to become more like who God has made us. And some grun writes, God moves the human heart to pry it open and free it from all self-deception. It's what he's doing in our lives. It's painful, but it's good that he's doing it. Later midlife is really about stepping into having Having reached that point, it may not be a point, but it's more likely a process of surrendering, then we're actually ready to step into God's path for the fruit future. And it will then be a fruitful path as we discern his call on our lives afresh. And actually, it might be a fresh call that will surprise us. Oh, I didn't realize this is what he had for me. Hopefully, you've now got a better idea of who you really are. You see, when we're young, we're so easily del delusional about who we really are. We have dreams about what we want to be that are out of kilter with who we really are. This is the sadness of the, the pernicious gospel of Di Disney, isn't it? That you know we can be whoever we want to be. No, we can't. We can be whoever God has created us to be. That's the truth. But that is so different from that lie that gets preached to us in every, pretty much every movie we watch. Uh, let's not go off on that ground. Stay on, stay on track. We've got a better idea of who he's made. You'll be wanting to play with your strengths, uh, which might be somewhat different to what you thought they were or what you dreamed they were 20 years ago. You won't want to be wasting time doing stuff that doesn't fit you. As Mark, can I just, sorry, we haven't asked you about this, but Mark was just delighting in the fact that he's got chance to do something to, 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 to exercise one of his passions professionally in a small way. That's great. One of his passions that the Lord has given him. He's now able to make a bit of a living or something, make some money out of anyway. That's great. The Lord does that. The Lord surprises us in taking our passions, who we are, and, and finding expression. He loves to do that. That's great. And um, you may not get paid for it, but whatever it is, you know, that's, that's great that he does it. You might discover something new that you didn't know. You might discover a way of helping and encouraging others that you had no clue about. And the Lord does that. Uh, you won't want to be wasting your time doing stuff that doesn't fit you. Obviously, you know, inevitably there are things we have to do. None of us likes to do certain tasks, but... In general, in broad terms, we want, to do, we want to do what God has fitted us for. It's a time for considering our legacy too. What do you want to pass on? Having come through midlife healthily, I think your question is not, how will I be 
not, you know, what mark can I make on the world? You know, what will they be writing about me in my biography? It's rather, what can I pass on to other people? Am I praying that people who are coming on behind, that their fruitfulness will be far more than my fruitfulness ever has been? That's a good place to reach. You're working for the generation to come. What do you want to pass on? Um, maybe we've learned that we don't need to know everything. That's not a bad thing, actually, to learn. You know, I think about myself in my 20s. I don't know. I think I would have hated to meet myself in my 20s. Such, such an arrogant know-all. Perhaps you think I haven't changed. I don't know. But what an arrogant know-all. I thought I knew so much. 30 odd years on. Well, I, t I must have forgotten so much because I know so little now. And that's all right. Actually, we become more prepared to live with mystery. We don't have to have everything so nailed down. We are less driven by the need to be right all the time. Hopefully, if we're allowing the Lord to do his work. And above all, we want, bef before anything else, to pursue that intimacy with the Lord for which our souls yearn. As Horsfall says, we might become less certain, but more sure. I like that. More sure about our relationship with the Lord. There's maybe many things we're less certain on, but we're clinging to the Lord closer. We're more sure of him. We're more sure of him. We, don't, we might be less sure of what we think we know about him, but our trust in him is more sure. So the goal of later midlife really, I think, is to find God's path for us, to minister out of that intimacy, out of relationship with him, and to move forward with him. Yes, we think ahead to retirement, I guess, but we don't retire from serving the Lord, do we? We just don't. We don't retire from seeking his face. We just don't. We don't retire just to, you know, spend our time in a hot climate, um, we just don't. The Lord's, I mean, I, he may call you to a hot climate, but he's got work for us to do, and he wants us to do it. Now, that make everything seems very simple, very linear. Of course, it's not like that. Everyone's experience is different, but it may be a helpful framework. And you may be thinking at this point, well, that's, that's all very well, Graham, but where's God's word in all of this? And that's a fair point. It's quite difficult with these more topical subjects to perhaps allow God's word to speak more powerfully. But let's close by looking at that passage we read in Isaiah. Because um, I think it's quite instructional. We probably think of Isaiah as a young man here. We don't know, actually. He might have been, he might have been older. Um, but it does seem he was already ministering in the temple when the Lord met him in this astonishing way, gave him this vision. Uh, probably he'd already begun his prophetic ministry. I mean, it comes six chapters in. That doesn't mean to say that everything Isaiah 1 to 5 was written before that, but, but he probably started his prophetic ministry. But we do know this was a time of transition. King Uzziah had died. He'd been on the throne for about 52 years, I think. Uh, he'd been around for ages. Uh, this was a time of transition. It was a time of discombobulation for Isaiah. He cries out here, Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The old version says, I am undone. 
You remember that? You know, that is exactly how midlife leaves many people feeling. Undone. Unraveled. Unsettled. Disconcerted. Maybe guilty, like Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. And in midlife, we do often look back with regret and disappointment. Maybe it feels that the persona we've been carefully constructing for the first half of our lives is falling apart. Or it just feels inauthentic. In this time of unsettlement, Isaiah is given a vision of the Lord, and that actually unsettles him even more, of course, initially. He is high and exalted. He is ruling in holiness, ruling for good. The earth is shaking. But God isn't. His rule is sure. As Tony Horsfall says, true stability is found in trusting God and resting in his sovereignty. Everything else may well shake in midlife. We trust in him. We may feel we're losing our grip, but God isn't losing his grip. And as we trust him to be in charge of everything, this frees us up from having to feel that we're in control. We're not, he is. This vision opens Isaiah up to allow God to do his work. And he does that first. The, the vision of the Lord's holiness exposes Isaiah's guilt. And I think we have to be up for that. Because we do have a habit of keeping things hidden. Away from others, away from God. Isaiah recognizes this. And he allows the Lord to remove it. When he touches his lips with the coal, we know that this points forward to all that Christ has done for us on the cross to make forgiveness possible. He rec- I, we can be open with the Lord. We can allow him to search us. It's okay, we're safe with him. And when we keep our guilt covered, we give it power over us. When we cover up our guilt, we give it power over us. And it often helps to open up to another fellow believer too, someone we trust. We don't have the right of confession here, but that doesn't mean to say that confession to another person, another believer you trust is not a good thing. It is a powerful thing. Confess your sins to one another, says James. That helps to break sin's power. Isaiah experiences forgiveness and cleansing. And maybe we need this afresh as the mistakes of the past haunt us. And this is followed by a fresh call. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. He comes, Isaiah comes to a fresh place of surrender. Whatever you want for me, Lord. I remember as a young man praying many times, Lord, my life, here it is, it's a blank check. But, you know, it's all very well doing that in your early 20s. You've got to do it again and again and again and again. Fresh surrender. And so he discovers his true vocation for the rest of his life. If midlife leads us to the same place, that is a great outcome. Tyler de Chardin prayed this. In all those dark moments, O God, grant that I may understand that it is you who are painfully parting the fibers of my being in order to penetrate to the very marrow substance I wonder if you know how that feels it is painful but the Lord is doing it for good for our good 
and for the blessing of others and for his glory. We've covered a lot of ground today far too quickly. Uh, Horseful finishes by laying out way marks to help us move through midlife. First of all, we've got to understand the process. We've got to recognize what's happening. That is so helpful when we begin to recognize these things, when we begin to say, ah, yes, I can see that, I can see that, I can see that. It's so helpful. Secondly, recognize the hand of God in this. He is, he is not deserting us to the turmoil. He's working amongst the turmoil, looking to work in you. Thirdly, it's good in this period to take time to step back. Now, I know that's not easy. I know it's not easy. I had the benefit five years ago of a three-month sabbatical from the church, and that was absolutely right at a key time for me. It helped me to do this, but may not, we may not have the luxury of three months, but building in time when we can step away and reflect, maybe it's a couple of hours regularly, but it's good to do that, to ponder what's happening and to lean into the Lord. Where else can we go? To lean into the Lord, and that may involve seeking outside help too, that's okay. Whether it's, you know, professional counselling or a lifetime coach or a mentor or whatever. There are different ways. This is where the, actually, look around the, I say this to the guys, look around the church. We are blessed in this church with so many wonderful, mature saints who have gone through this. And if you need help, they can perhaps get alongside you and say, yeah, well, I haven't got, I can't tell you how to do it, you know, perfectly because I didn't, but I do know what he's talking about and let me go with you. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the 70 or 80 somethings got alongside the 40, 50 somethings? I'd love that. That would be brilliant. And then finally, trust in the Lord. I should say, to approach someone, you don't have had to have had a crisis. You know, you don't have to. It may help you avert one. Don't think you have to reach the point of crisis before you reach out. No, don't wait till that. Finally, trust in the Lord. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He started it and he's working it through. He will finish it. He is at work doing that. And then thus, as we move into the second half of our life, rather than just tailing off, our lives will move further towards our full potential in Christ, which is what we want, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are at work through all the changing scenes of life. And uh, maybe, Lord, maybe for one or two, there's a few things here that have come quite close to home. Lord, I pray you'll help us not to run away, but to face up to what you're doing in our lives and move towards you in this. Lord, where we need help, I pray you'll make us soft of heart, not too proud so that we're ready to reach out to others. Lord, we all need this. We all need to be praying for each other. None of us is above that. It's ridiculous to think we are. I pray you'll help us. And I pray, Lord, that throughout this church fellowship, there might be older folk helping younger folk, helping even younger folk, and so forth. Because we really need that. And in all of this, we pray that you will do your work in us to give you glory for the blessing of ourselves, for the growth of your kingdom and the blessing of others. In Jesus' name, amen.